So you're eating at a restaurant with your significant other. It's date night. Maybe it's your 20-year anniversary. Or maybe it's the first date with someone you met on Tinder, Match.com, or eHarmony. Does anyone use eHarmony anymore? Anyway, the two of you are at one of the most romantic restaurants in your city. And to be clear, this is an upscale venue. Car valet, checking your coat upscale. And let's pretend for a moment that this is your first time visiting this restaurant. So as a result, you're not too familiar with their cuisine. And let's be honest, we've all been there. Sitting at our table with a fancy menu, listing out fancy names for fancy food that you have no clue what to do with. You look around and everyone seems to have different dishes and from afar, the dishes look great. The people all seem to be enjoying their dishes. They seem satisfied with their choice. The waiter tries his best to explain to you the differences and slight nuances of each dish, down to the sauces, parts of the animal used, prep process, and seasoning. But somehow, all that information just seems to confuse you more. <clears throat> now, obviously, in this scenario, food isn't the most important element of this date. You're certainly there to spend quality time with your partner. But still, the idea of investing money and time into a dish that you'll regret and ends up being the wrong dish for you can be frustrating, especially if you're a foodie like me. Now, before you turn off this podcast because you came here to learn about religion and God, not to hear a knockoff Anthony Bourdain foodie documentary, allow me to make my transition. This scenario is a lot like the situation millions of people find themselves in when it comes to picking a religion. You're looking for something fulfilling, satisfying, that will make you happy, but you're overwhelmed with the options. Yeah, there are the popular ones that most people go to, but you can't help but feel like you might be missing out. You look around and everyone else seems happy and fulfilled in their various religions. But how do you know which one is the right one for you? This isn't a $100 investment after all, something you can try now and next week you can come back and try another. This is a life investment. This is an area where you can't afford to regret your choice. The consequences aren't dissatisfactory or an upset stomach. It's eternal damnation. At least that's how it can feel sometimes. So many gods, so many religions, how to decide? Do you use logic, experience, a supernatural feeling? Well, let's break this down a bit. As we mentioned in the intro, there are thousands of religions, but surprisingly, most people fall into one of the eight major religions. Now, it's no guarantee, but it's probably safe to assume that we can find the true religion by analyzing the most popular religions that the human race is a part of. Similar to dishes on a menu, a popular dish is a popular dish for a reason, meaning most people who have explored the various options have found the dish to be the most fulfilling. 
Okay, I'll stop using the food metaphors, but my point is that focusing on the most popular religions is probably a good place to start. So I'm a Christian. How would you identify? Uh, atheist. Atheist. Non-believer. Okay. So do you believe that like there's there's no God or there's something out there and you don't know what it is? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I identify as an atheist. If like agnosticism and atheism is like a spectrum, I'm like somewhere in it. I think that when we die, it's lights out. So, what are the most popular religions in the world? Firstly, secularism. As you might guess by the name, secularism is a belief that everything from the creation of the universe to human morality can be ultimately broken down into and explained by, at least in principle, the unconscious laws of chemistry and physics. No God, no angels, no supernatural beings, Secularism is an idea, not a religion. Another word for secularism is humanism. Embracing human reason and rejecting religious dogma, supernaturalism, and superstition as the basis of morality and decision-making. This, of course, is the belief system atheists subscribe to. A belief system that is in ways similar to secularism is Buddhism. Now, I can hear you saying, how are Buddhists and atheists similar? And yeah, you probably wouldn't expect to see a Buddhist monk hanging out with Steve Hawkins. But while the culture and behavior of Buddhists tend to differ from the typical atheists, they both take a very humanistic approach to life. Buddhists don't believe in a higher power or a supreme being either. Instead of focusing on the supernatural, Buddhists focus on how we humans treat one another. Okay, now let's get into some of the belief systems that do believe in a higher power and have specific rules or holy books that govern their beliefs. A belief system that most people are pretty familiar with and is one of the oldest major religions is Judaism. Judaism centers itself on the books that comprise the Old Testament and don't acknowledge the New Testament as inspired and relevant. In fact, Judaism does not accept Jesus as God, divine being, the Messiah, or holy. Another well-known belief system is Islam. Islam's origins go all the way back to a man named Muhammad. Muhammad saw himself as a warner of incoming punishment for the unbeliever and a bearer of good news for the believer. His message could be summarized into two parts. There is one God and Muhammad is the last prophet and there is a day of judgment in which mankind will have to account for each one of their deeds. Those who do not associate anyone with God and whose good deeds overtake their bad deeds will enter paradise. To convey all of these ideas, Muhammad wrote a book called the Quran, which to Muslims is considered a holy text. A religion that has several sacred texts are the Hindis. The Hindis have four major books, all a part of what's called the Vedas. They give counsel on rituals that should be done daily and yearly. What's interesting about these sacred texts is that they don't refer to human history at all. 
They are instead legends and practices transmitted by oral tradition over 3,600 years before being written down. They aren't meant to be cross-referenced with history. The goal is not to prove them. They are for the purpose of providing ways to connect with the gods whom Hindus claim are all around you and in you. But here's the thing. There are over 330 million gods in Hinduism. So one might find it hard to know which god to believe in and follow. As if deciding on a religion wasn't hard enough. God, we're grateful. Because if it had not been for you, we would not be here. We opened our eyes this morning, God. And of course, lastly, you have Christianity, you which the has the Bible as its sacred text. We now, you're probably familiar on some level what Christianity is, especially if you live in America. There are over 2.5 billion people who claim to believe in the Bible. But get this, it's actually close to 4 billion if you include Muslims who view some of the Bible's writings as authoritative. So that means about half the world's population claims to believe in the Bible to some extent. A very popular dish, if you will. Christianity is a very fascinating religion, not because it's extremely popular. In fact, it has nothing to do with that at all. But it's because of its sacred book, the Bible. The Bible itself is unlike any other book ever. In some places, it is more than 3,000 years old, and in others, less than 2,000 years. And it's written by everyone from kings to farmers, from scholars to peasants, which is absurd. How absurd? Just think about this. Remember in elementary school when your teacher introduced the game of telephone to you? You know, when one of your classmates starts off with a statement such as shade under a tree and it gets conveyed through student to student until you're told, I want ice cream. Okay, maybe it wasn't that drastically different, but the point was that we humans understand and convey things differently. And it's not just when we're little kids and are poor communicators. Even when adults play the game telephone, things tend to get lost in translation. This human flaw makes the fact that the Bible was written by literally dozens of authors so odd. And once again, these humans spoke different languages, lived at different times, and came from different cultural backgrounds and races. And to be clear, they weren't all professional writers. You had a doctor write one book, a fisherman write another. I mean, let's be real. If by random we stuck 10 American citizens in a room and asked them to define what it means to be American, we would get 10 different interpretations. Even people from the same family often interpret that differently. Hashtag Thanksgiving with the family. That's why the Bible is such an odd piece of text. It's almost spooky how several people who didn't know each other and lived in different times and cultures could write the same ideas, stories, and overall narrative. It's the one text that by its mere existence suggests a supernatural reality. And of course, there's also the fact of prophecy. Yeah, the Bible is full of prophecy. That's predictions of events or incidents that will occur in the future. And once again, to be clear, there aren't a few prophecies. No, there are approximately 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. 
and 2,000 of them have already been fulfilled to the letter. No errors. Now, I actually want to stop here for a minute and really help us digest the implications of a book consisting of predictions that turn out to be true. Okay, let's set the scene. You're sitting at a city bench, a bus stop, waiting for the bus. Forrest Gump style. While you're sitting there, a man walks up and sits beside you. Now, this man is dressed in worn out clothes and he looks greasy and smells a bit. But then, the man proceeds to talk to you. He tells you the next car that will come around the corner will be a red Mustang. You wait for a minute, and sure enough, a red Mustang comes rolling around the corner and speeding by. You're impressed, but then the man proceeds to predict the next car that will come around. This time it's a Harley Davidson motorcycle, he claims. You wait for a minute, curious to see if this guy is lucky or something more. Sure enough, after a minute, a Harley comes speeding around the corner, zipping right by. Okay, now you're captivated. You turn your whole body towards the man, attentive, waiting to see what he predicts next. And the man goes on to predict the next car, and the car after that, a SUV, an 18-wheeler, a Jeep, again and again and again until he makes 2,000 predictions and gets every single one correct. After all this, the man says to you that your bus isn't coming, it won't be coming around the corner, and that if you want to get to your destination, you need to follow him. What do you do? He's a stranger, yeah, and based off your perspective and life experience, you perceive him to be a homeless or at the very least sketchy person that you shouldn't follow. But you're conflicted because despite every instinct in your body, there is a big part of you that believes him. I think this is why the Bible is unlike any other sacred book. Because no matter what your preconceived notions are about Christianity, or just religion in general, you can't deny, and trust me, many have tried, the accuracy and authenticity of the Bible. It's no wonder that when people actually take the time to evaluate the claims and prophecies of the Bible and see that they're all coming true, they tend to stick around to see what else it has to say. It stands out as a book like no other, and I would encourage you not to take my word for it and compare it historically with any other ancient writings or documents. It's truly incredible. Now, after you discover and verify the 2000 prophecies that have all come true, you also discover that the Bible makes another startling claim, that it is the truth. It is the truth about who God is, what he is like, and what his plans are for you. It makes claims about how we got here, where we are going, and how we should live. It makes claims about why there is evil, and what will ultimately happen to every person who has ever lived. Now, you may be asking, why though should you believe in the Bible and its ultimate claims? Well, 
you shouldn't. That is, you shouldn't without having good reason to believe in it. In the end, no one can do your believing for you. The key is really an open and honest mind. With neither a hard heart determined not to believe, no matter the evidence, nor with a naive gullibility that is willing to accept anything, no matter how silly the evidence for it is. Maybe in the end, you don't want to believe in any religion. Or maybe you have seen what has been done by organized religion and maybe want an unorganized one. Or maybe you want your own religion or belief system, one that changes and morphs as you do. That's fine, but in the end, you are still a believer. That is, you always believe in something, maybe even in your own unbelief. This podcast is based on a belief too. The belief that God is real, that God is love, and that his love is revealed in the pages of the Bible. And most powerfully, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We challenge you to continue to journey with us, but again, with an open heart and with an open mind. Because deep down, all of us are hurting, broken, hungry, trying to find our way, trying to be fulfilled. And who knows, you might just find yourself being healed and fulfilled by a God whom you never believed in and doing so from a book you never trusted, the Bible.